Equality of educational opportunity has long been a stated goal of education in this province. The polka dot door, the polka dot door, let's peep through the polka dot door. Good evening ladies and gentlemen and welcome once again to Saturday Night at the Movies. My name is Elwi Yost. Today's special, shout it loud and clear, today's special. I'm Steve Pakin, and this is TVO at 50. Twice a week for the next several months, we are celebrating TVO's 50th anniversary by looking back at the moments that got us to this milestone. Okay, I'm a parent, I've got four kids, I've seen my share of kids shows over the years, and I have to tell you, some of them, well, they're a bit bizarre, and none more so than a show we had called Today's Special. It ran on TVO from 1981 to 1987. Now get this, it featured a mannequin that used a magic hat to come to life. Hocus, hocus, Alan's special. There was a talking mouse. I hear your words and I agree. And a talking computer. Please, Mr. Crenshaw, must you make so much dust? It's clogging my machinery. But all of that bizarreness was what made the show work. It became incredibly popular here in Canada, and it aired on PBS in the United States as well. It did tackle lighter topics such as friendship, and what are the different types of fruit you can eat. But it also featured episodes on topics such as alcoholism and death. So today on TVO at 50, we take a look back at today's special with someone who was right in the middle of it. Where do you live now? Still outside Hamilton. Yeah, where about so? Um, do you know the city really well? I grew up in Mohawk Meadows. Oh, you did? First four years of my life, I lived on Oneida Boulevard, just off yeah. Mohawk Road. Oh, okay. Yeah. It, it used to be the country out here, but they're, oh, they're boy. creeping in. There was nothing there when I lived there, that's for sure. And now you pass million-dollar homes. <laughs> yes, Not mine. that's right. <laughs> that's great. Well, um, yeah. why don't I seamlessly just move into officially introducing you here. We're talking with Noreen Virgin, uh, who back in the day had a few roles on iconic TVO programs like Polka Dot Door and Today's Special, where she played Jody, and everybody of a certain age remembers Jody. But she's also had a career in education, in journalism. She's a historian. She had a foray into politics for a while, which we'll no doubt talk about as well. Uh, Noreen Virgin, it's so good to hear your voice again. How the heck are you? I'm terrific. Life is rich, Steve. Good. Glad to hear that. Can we and go you're away? well? I am you're indeed, yes. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Can we, can we go back in time here? The role you had of Jody, which is the role I suspect TVO viewers back in the day know you for best. How did you get that part in the first place? It was interesting. I was teaching and my husband at the time said, you know, with your education, and I know that he had known that I had done some television before, I said, why don't you leave your teaching job and go to TV Ontario. I think that the fact you're an educator will be an advantage there. And let's give it a year and see what happens. And so I did. I went to TV Ontario. I ended up getting a part as a nurse on a show that I believe the director's name was Susan Murgatroyd. And she hired me for that. And it turned out that she was also a director of Polka Dot Door. And having seen me in this small role as a nurse, she asked if I would do Polka Dot Door. I did Polka Dot Door. And during one of the weeks of shooting Polka Dot Door, a gentleman came to watch me in action. And he was there over lunch and, and Susan introduced us, et cetera. And he came down to the studio and he watched me as Noreen on Polka Dot Door. And 
during a break, he handed me his business card and said, I'm working on a new production and I'm really interested in you. Would you give me a call? Because I'd like to meet with you. And his name was Clyde Vanderberg. Ah, yes. Well, for, yeah. for folks in OTVO, that's a big name. Yeah. And he was the executive producer of this new project, Today's Special. And apparently they hadn't seen anybody as Jody. He just sort of felt that when I come across Jody, I'll know this is the right person. I met with him and that's where, that's where it all began. Did you guys hit it off right away? We did. Yeah, we did. He had me sing, which was really funny. He had me sing. And of course, this, it wasn't in my key. The key was, was way too high for me. And I was nervous. And I felt like I didn't do a very good job. So I phoned him after the, the interview and said, you know, I can sing a lot better than this. I'll take voice lessons, I'll, whatever I need to do. And he said, the job is yours. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> now, what do you think he saw in you that when he saw you, he said, I found my Jody. Um, Jody was, um, I'm just, when, I'm, when I think of the character, I, you know, I'm not sure. I guess maybe it was just, there was an, a sort of innocence about Jody, sort of a, a curiosity about Jody, and a warmth that I, I guess that he saw in me in the way that I interacted with my co-host on Polka Dot Door and the f fact that when I interacted with Pokeroo, to me at the time, Pokeroo was real and there were going to be puppets that you would have to interact with on today's special. And so certainly that would have been a skill and ability that would have mattered. And I could sing. If you're feeling frightened and you don't know what to do, just remember these three things that I will tell to you. Just give a snap, a clock, and a chuckle. <laughs> Anytime you feel a bit dismay, just give a snap, a clock, and a chuckle. <laughs> then you won't feel afraid. Well, and can I say this as well? The camera loved you, Noreen. The camera just loved you. I mean, you know that, right? Well, thank you. We had terrific camera camera men and women on, on that series as well who gave you all kinds of tips so that you would uh, look your best. Well, you, I mean, you had, you had a poise and you were photogenic and you were, I mean, you just, you knew how to play to the camera. Anyway, I'm going on too long here, but, but uh, that was the fact. Now, for those who, who are listening and may not have seen today's special, how would you just characterize the show for us? What was it like? It was a show about four absolutely different characters. Jeff, who was a mannequin who came to life. The whole thing happened in a department store at the time we did it in Simpsons, if anybody remembers Simpsons. Mm -hmm. And he was a mannequin and he had a magic hat. And at night he could put on his magic hat with the words hocus pocus, alamogocus, and he would come to life. Jody was responsible for all of the displays in the store, the window displays, etc. And then there was a mouse that lived in, in the store named Muffy and a security guard named Sam. Muffy and Sam were both puppets. And basically it was just the stories of their interactions, the, the things that were happening in their lives that also were, th were stories that connected with children. We did a story where um, Muffy had a friend that was a butterfly that she had, you know, that she had caught or she had been watching. And at one point the butterfly died. And so the story was, um, 
on death. I'm not going to get better. I'm dying. You're dying. You're lying. No. I told you I'm old. And it's time for me to die. That's all there is to it. But I'll always remember you, Muffy. And Jeff and Jody. <laughs> and Sam with his, his silly net. You've all been such good friends. We had a boy come in named Levy who had cerebral palsy and used um, a board, a bliss board at the time, to communicate. And that really rang true with a lot of children who were challenged in, in various ways physically. We had, a, we had another story with a man who came into the store who was a drinker. He was an alcoholic. So these were just stories of people who came through the department store and touched the lives of the four characters and also the things that happened in our personal lives that we, we shared with one another. Now, those are very mature themes for a so-called kids show. Yeah. And yet it, you know, it worked really well. Uh, what do you think it was about the way you treated those very adult serious issues that made it resonate so much with children? We had brilliant writers, just brilliant writers. And we worked with, I mean, from the, the cast, the production crew, the, the, the crew itself, there was, it was just an environment of, of so much empathy and sensitivity Certainly because there were children, you, you had to be cognizant of, of your emotions and just how far you were going to take those. And um, we just all seemed to be very tuned in. I think because um, some of us were parents at the time. For me, my experience as a teacher, I sort of had that um, sensitivity as well. And having worked with, with children from the time I was like, you know, 13, 14 years old, so I think it was just good casting on the part of Clive Vanderberg and wonderful, wonderful script writers. Hmm. And how many years all told at TVO for you? We spent eight years taping, uh, doing today's special. And then I did come back to TVO and worked with a producer on an educational um, interactive series after that. I did Polka Dot Door. I just did two seasons of Polka Dot Door. And then it was decided it was too confusing for children to see me as Noreen from 6 to 6.30. And then at 6.30, I was Jody. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so you planted your flag on today's special eventually. Oh, yeah. yeah. Got it. Now, I, I think it can be told all these years later. I, I want to know what kind of shenanigans went on on the set. Like what happened when the cameras weren't rolling? How much fighting went on? How much other... Uh, you know, now it can be told stuff went on. <laughs> it was stuff that happened while the cameras were rolling. I remember we were doing a show on dinosaurs and I don't know why, but we got the giggles and we got the giggles, Jeff and I, so badly that we couldn't even look at each other. We were supposed to be standing in front of an easel and we were supposed to be having this conversation, but we couldn't even make eye contact. This went on for, oh my gosh, it must have gone on for over a half an hour. And finally, Clive Vanderberg called break so that we could get ourselves together. We all got along so well, the four of us and our families too. You know, our kids grew up. I had my son. Um, during today's special. Our daughter was in one of the episodes on today's special. You know, Bobby would go off, who was, who was the puppeteer for Sam. He would go off on his travel adventures every summer when we broke. Um, Nina had her son, Matt, during the series. 
Jeff had a daughter, Gemma. We all shared our, our family stories. We went to dinner together. In terms of, um, there's not a lot of nasty gossip or a lot of... Um, you, want, you want to make something up? No, no fisticuffs. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Well, yeah. let, let me talk about something else that, that um, you know, I, I'm guessing that this show started in the early 1980s. And, mm-hmm. and Noreen, there can't have been that many black female faces on television. We're talking 40 years ago right now. So in that respect, you were a real pioneer. And I want to know if you, if you felt like it at the time. Yeah. What was wonderful with today's special was not being cast specifically because they wanted a black person, that he was just looking for Jody, somebody who had the characteristics, the sensitivities of, of how he perceived Jody would be. Even today, I mean, I have hundreds and hundreds of, of today's special friends on, on Facebook. And so often I hear from them that it was important to see someone like me on television as a positive image of who we could be. And I get that from a, a lot of you know, black and, and brown young men and women, and even from, from a lot of white fans who said they grew up in a neighborhood where they never saw a person that looked like me. And that th- this influenced their, their perception and their attitudes that they've carried with them for the rest of their lives. Look back at all, yeah. all these years later, don't you think? Oh, it absolutely is. It was a privilege to, to do today's special. I look at it as, as such a blessing. You know, everybody wants to do, to do things that matter. And to have been able to do work that has mattered on such a grand scale to not just that one generation of children, but to the parents of those children who, I mean, I was in a, in a store the other day and the woman said, oh my gosh, here she is, Jody from Today's Special. Every time you come into this store, I go home and tell my daughter that you were here. <laughs> <laughs> and the show was aired, not just, not just in Canada. It was the number two show on Nickelodeon across the United States. I believe it was number two for years. It aired in Australia, Singapore, um, Saudi Arabia. The one that really touched me was when Clive Vanderberg announced to us that the BOP television network of South Africa in the 80s had bought the show. And I thought this was really moving. It was a time when I believe Nelson Mandela was still in prison. And the idea that, that young people and their families were going to see this image of a, a black w- woman and a white man dancing and singing together and being best friends. What a wonderful thing to put out there for them. Hmm. Noreen, um, I've always wanted to ask you about, um, well, let me put it this way. Nichelle Nichols, when she was playing Uhura on Star Trek, uh, she got to a point apparently in the show where she wanted to quit. But then Martin Luther King said to her, you've got to stay because we have to let black people in America know that they have a future, that they are included in the future. They're going to be around in the future and you are a role model for them. And that was very influential with her and she obviously decided to stay. Did it occur to you that when you were doing your show that you might be that kind of role model as well? It, it did. After, after it had aired for a year or so and, and the overwhelming popularity of the show, you were constantly running into people who were saying how important it was for them, for their children to see somebody like me. And there was a, a sense of responsibility that, that went along with it all. I'll never forget, there was, at one 
point, we had made an album. We produced an album and we were doing an autograph signing on the album. And a woman and her little girl came up to me and the little girl was maybe four years old and they told me to put my hand out and they put something in my hand and they said, we have been waiting for this opportunity to meet you, but you mean so much to our family, so much to my little girl. We want you to have this. And when I opened my hand, it was a gold ring. And they told, she told me, this is my, my mother's ring. This was my little girl's grandmother's ring. We want you to have this as a thank you for what you're doing. Oh, and what a beautiful story. I, and I wear this ring to this day. I've, I've never taken it off. Is that right? You wear the ring now? I, I've always had it on. I've never taken it off. That is brilliant. Well, we should not leave people with the impression that, that um, you know, working for TVO was uh, the sum total of your career because you've done a lot of things. And while I've got you here, I want to touch on some of that because you've done a lot of work bringing, you know, black history from Ontario and from Canada uh, to the fore. You know, you've written biographies, you've written articles for the Canadian Encyclopedia. Uh, you work closely with the Stewart Memorial Church, uh, which is one of the, uh, I guess, longest surviving predominantly black congregations in Hamilton, my hometown as well. Uh, talk, could you talk to us about why this work of bringing black history to the fore is so important to you? It's important. I know who I am because I know who I was. It was instilled in me from the time I was a little girl, from my mother, from my grandparents. My grandmother used to say to me, you know that you are descended from African royalty because my great, great, great grandfather was the leader of, of his village uh, called the village of the tall people in, in Africa before he was kidnapped and brought over to the, the States and, and made a slave. Hmm. And I, I've always been so aware of the sacrifice that, you know, my great grandfather was 15 years old when he fled the plantation to walk some, what, 2,500 kilometers from Maryland to, to get here for a better life because he understood that slavery had been abolished in Canada. I know that when I went to school, I didn't see in the books that I read, in the history that I was taught, in the poetry that, that I was exposed to, there was... There were no words written by people like me. There were no images of people that looked like me. And you always, I felt, you felt excluded. You felt like you don't count. Um, so for me, it, it's been important if I have the opportunity and the ability to change that, even if it's one classroom at a time, if it's one, one child at a time, then I feel that that's my purpose, that that's my responsibility. Hmm. Are we any better at uh, having an education system today that reflects what you've just referred to? It's stipulated in the Ontario curriculum that there are, are places where um, there's supposed to be black history or black contribution taught. The challenge for teachers is they don't have the time to research this. They don't necessarily have the resources. You can't just Google and think that whatever you Googled is accurate. And so they really need people like the team that I'm working with to come into the classrooms and to help them. You know, it's little things like I've had teachers when we've sat in a workshop and they've said, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I don't even know what I call you, Noreen. Are you, are you black? Are you African Canadian? They're afraid that they'll step in it. And so we get hung up on these, these minute little details, this minutia 
Um, so we go into the schools and we've developed a three-part Black History Experiential Learning Program where we go into the classrooms and we do a, a one-hour sort of interactive presentation and it's, it's tied exactly to the curriculum, whether it's grade four art or whether it's social studies, whether it's civics and law in a grade 10 class, whether it's a grade 11 history class. We've gone through the curriculum for all of the different grades and looked at all the places where we can slot this in so it's absolutely um, relevant. So we do the presentation and it's interactive and the kids put their hands up and we give out prizes and it's really, really fun. And the next step is we bring them to Stuart Memorial Church and it's secular. Stuart Memorial Church is one of the oldest, as you said, Steve, one of the oldest black churches that was founded by fugitive slaves. One of the big, the oldest in Canada. We bring them there and there we have eight, usually about eight different centers set up. Each center has totally different content. One might be about how, about the KKK that marched in Hamilton in the 1920s. Another center might have been how this church, the minister from Stuart Memorial, saved a young man who had fled from the States from being lynched. Every center is different and we have somebody facilitating at each center. So the kids learn something and then they have an activity to do that's relevant to that center. Um, my center is usually... Um, coded spirituals, because I love to hmm. sing. And so we do something with that. And, and Stuart Memorial has so many firsts. The first black in Canada to become a pilot was from Stuart Memorial. Lincoln Alexander, the first black MP was from Stuart Memorial. The first black in all of North America to die in combat in World War I was from Stuart Memorial. So many firsts, the, my great uncle, the first black in Canada to be named citizen of the year of any major city in Canada. He was from that church. So the church has such a rich history. So we bring them there and they sp spend a couple of hours. The third stage is we work with teachers on follow-up activities, something that they can take away from there. And we send all of the activity, the results of all the activities that the kids did, everything that they made and everything that they wrote. We send all of that back to the schools with the teachers so that they have that. And then we also help support them in giving them ideas for follow-up activities. Hmm. You know, you mentioned Lincoln Alexander there, who's absolutely uh, right at the top of my list of favorite politicians of all time. Uh, <laughs> talk about a pioneer. Talk about a great man. Yeah. Talk about a fun guy. Oh, my goodness gracious. Did uh, you know that when he ran in Hamilton, um, the way that he got around the the bigotry that existed in Hamilton. Hamilton is a city that has had problems with racism going back decades and decades and decades. It, it tops the list of major Canadian cities almost every time the study comes out with the, the results of the most racist cities in the country. When he ran for politics, uh, his campaign people told voters that he was from Southern Italy. <laughs> and that's how he... <laughs> I never knew that. Oh my God, that's yeah. crazy. Oh. Yeah. Yep. I heard that story from a, a gentleman who actually worked on his campaign. Hmm. Well, I mean, he obviously had a great career in politics, uh, started yeah. as a member of parliament, uh, became first black cabinet minister, lieutenant governor for the province of Ontario. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, just a, a marvelous, marvelous man. And I have to assume that at some point along the way, you and he had a conversation about your jump into politics, which you eventually did in 2007. You ran for uh, Queen's Park. Uh, mm -hmm. did, did you have a conversation with Link about that? 
Interesting. I'd known him since I was a little girl because he was a regular at Stuart Memorial Church, and that's where my family attended when, you know, when we came to Hamilton. The conversation I had with him was not um, what you probably would have expected. When I ran in 2007, you might be aware that there was this whole backlash against my running. Jennifer Mossop had been the MPP in my riding, and she decided not to run again. So when um, I was named the candidate here, this was, it was my riding, but then they just, they changed the lines just for at that election. There were all of these stories going out in, in the regional papers. She's an outsider. She's being parachuted in. She's Toronto's own. And these stories were being inspired by a young man who wanted to be the candidate, but the two of us were interviewed and the decision was made I would be the stronger candidate. So disgruntled as he was, he was constantly on the phone to Kevin Werner, who was a reporter for the paper and also had a, a, um, an opinion column, uh, adding fuel to this fire. Um, the headlines that they, they, that they were writing in the paper, one of them was uh, that my party had had found their today's special. When they had the nomination meeting and I accepted the nomination, it was referred to as a virgin's love-in, which is rather objectifying. Hmm. It culminated in a headline that, uh, that said, into the briar patch again. And when you read the article, it said that my, the political party had found their favorite tar baby and that I was only being given a chance to run because they didn't want to run a bland white male. Oh that, my God. That article appeared in all, I believe there are seven regional papers across the entire Hamilton region. And Mark Cripps is, was the editor of those papers at the time. Um, the party told me to let it go because they said they needed the media on their side in an election campaign. My response to that was, they're certainly not on my side. And if I let this go, then I'm facilitating this happening again to the next person. Hmm. So you probably know Charles Roach. The, Absolutely. Yeah, the, the most honorable Canadian black lawyer. He, his daughter, Kike Roach, heard my story and said she would take my case. So um, when the party found out that I was considering suing the paper for libel, the party told me if I did this, then I would be out. And if I ever wanted to run again, I would have to do it without their support. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, but we went ahead and we sued. I ended up losing the election because of this whole perception that I didn't live. I'd lived in the same house for over 30 years at the mm -hmm. time. So, but I was, you, you just couldn't overcome that hurdle that had been placed in front of me. So I ended up losing the election by, I think it was only about a thousand votes went ahead and sued. It took five years, but in the end, Metroland Media settled with me. Huh. Uh, what I'm pleased about is that the next person who ran politically, who was black, Matthew Green ran for city council. When he ran, there were no derogatory references to the color of his skin. And he has since run as an MP yeah, he's in the Hamilton. MP now. Yes. And the same thing. So I, I'm pleased that, that I took that stand and, and said, yes, I do count, and has sort of cleared the way for, for people like, like Matthew Green 
You know, it's, it's one of the sad truisms about politics, Noreen, that those who open the door don't necessarily get to walk through it. Sometimes it's, mm-hmm. the, ne- it's the next person who walks through. Yeah. Every time I saw Dalton McGinty after that, it was, it was embarrassing because, you know, you'd go to something and, and, and it would be a public function and he would say in a relatively loud voice, oh, there she is, the troublemaker. Wow. Seriously. Seriously. Every time I saw him after that, there she is, the troublemaker. And I didn't run. I wasn't. If you want the irony of it, the next cycle in 2011, the party chose a candidate to run in the riding where I had run. And that person was Mark Cripps, who was the editor of those regional papers. It was funny. They told me I couldn't run again because I was in the middle of a lawsuit. But in fact, Mark Cripps was listed as one of the defendants in that lawsuit. Mm. Oh, my was, goodness. <laughs> Well, he 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 for, he fared worse than you did. He he couldn't win. He didn't win the seat either. No, he didn't. No, no. Well, they have never had. They never got that seat back. That's it. That's Hamilton East Stony Creek's a pretty NDP seat. It's a tough one to win, but you came close. But we, I got to come full circle here because you you said you did talk to Link, but not about what what, yes. what I might have thought. What was the conversation? During this whole scuffle with the, the Tar Baby incident, Lincoln Alexander was kind enough. There were people like, like Ben Chin and Tim Shorthill who really wanted a different ending to the story than what happened. Um, they were really rooting for me. And, and so when they realized that I had known Lincoln Alexander since I was a kid, they contacted him and asked him if he would write a letter. And he did. He wrote a letter completely decrying what the newspaper had said and, and you know, talking about my, rep- my reputation, my experience, my, my qualifications, and my entitlement, you know, to, to run for politics. And the letter was published in the newspaper. He then went one step further, and Bill Kelly had a television slash radio program at the time that was local, and he went on that show as well and talked about how despicable this was. And um, I believe that was it Mark Kelly or one of the callers made a comment about there needing to be more racial tolerance. Link's response to that was no, you can learn to tolerate rats. (laughs) No, we need a little better than tolerance. We need respect. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 So he, he was most, most supportive. You can always rely on link to do the right thing. Always, always, always. Yeah. Yeah. He was a great man, much, Mm -hmm. much missed and much beloved. Yeah. Do you, do you think you've had it with politics? I do look now, and I'm really pleased to see Marcy Ian having the opportunity that she has to, to run. When I was dealing with the political parties, the criteria was to find a riding, usually to find a riding where um, there would be a large number of Black voters, because the thinking was, if we're going to run somebody Black, they have to run where there are a lot of Black people. Hmm. Marcy Ian's running in a really prominent riding. Trauma Center. Yeah, yeah. And, and that whole connection with Black people, Black voters doesn't seem to be the basis of her being, being acclaimed as the candidate. So I'm hoping we've, we've, we've turned a corner. You've moved I the have, yardsticks, Noreen. I think that's the way yeah. to put it. Noreen, let's finish up on this. What are you working on now? Right now, we're still uh, doing the experiential learning program with the schools. We're now taking, taking the time to to put what we would normally do in classrooms on video so that we can make it available to a, a broader, broader width of, 
of, of schools across the, re across the region and elsewhere, and also because of the, the constraints of corona. If we make it, these things available virtually, it's going to be really helpful to the school boards. Um, I'm working on a book of my own, you know, my, my experiences, and also working on uh, a book for schools that hmm. schools can use as well in, in relation to Black history. I've been doing media training, teaching media training and public speaking skills at the executive level. And I'm in the midst right now of doing a nine-part nine part, um, program with one of the colleges in Toronto uh, on anti-Black racism. Holy cow, you got it going on. <laughs> I'm, keeping, I'm keeping out of trouble, Steve. <laughs> well, Heaven knows I've stepped in enough over the years. Yeah, but, but I, 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 I'm not saying you should keep doing it. You may not want to, uh, who, John Lewis said, you know, we're looking for people to get into good trouble, right? So you it's keep getting good into trouble. good trouble. You betcha. <laughs> That's great. Well, that voice belongs to Noreen Virgin, journalist, actress, television host, educator, author, and if I may say, a great Hamiltonian who, uh, <laughs> oh my goodness, nearly four decades ago, uh, played Jody on today's special. Maureen, it's so great getting caught up with you. Uh, all good wishes going forward. Steve, it's terrific having an opportunity to talk with you as well. And that's it for us. This episode of TVO at 50 was produced by Matthew O'Mara with editing by Donnie Swanson. Research help from Kate Petch and Carol Elder. Our production support coordinators are Jonathan Hallowell and Nikki Ashworth. You want to share your TVO memories with us? What does TVO mean to you? Well, record yourself on your phone or your computer and email the audio to us using the email address tvo at 50 at tvo.org. That's TVO, A-T, and the numbers 50 at tvo.org. We'll play these on future episodes. Next time on the podcast, who really is Pokeroo? What the hell is Pokeroo? Well, what do you think? Is one of our constants. I haven't a clue. I don't know. I think what's wonderful about Pokeroo, from my perspective, is I really think Pokeroo is just ahead of their time. Because Pokeroo is whoever you see Pokeroo to be, which is, you know, on one level, you could say how innovative TVO was about having a gender neutral character. I'm Steve Pakin. Bye bye.